Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 28 this morning, verses 16 through 20. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross, but you know, now that we're in Matthew 28, right? We're on the other side of the cross now, right? And have been for a couple of weeks. In fact, we're not only on the other side of the cross, we're on the other side of the resurrection. And, uh, and so the question comes up, then what does that mean? To be on the other side of the resurrection, what does that mean for us as Christians? What does that mean for us as a church? And we find some of the answers uh, uh, in our passage today. This is the final passage in the Gospel of Matthew. These are the verses that close out the whole Gospel. And these verses are commonly known as the Great Commission. You've, you've probably heard that before. The Great Commission. As Jesus gives the church our marching orders until he comes again. So in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look into your great commission this morning, I pray that we would not only learn it and understand it, but you would work in our hearts to help us obey it uh, in our daily lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, today marks the final message in our series through the entire gospel of Matthew. And uh, it was nine years ago that we began our journey together. Uh, We began with the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1. And here we are now, 110 messages later, and we come to the Great Commission in the final chapter. Uh, Today is also my birthday. And you know, I can't think of a better birthday gift than the privilege of finishing up the Gospel of Matthew with you all today together. So that's pretty neat how God worked that. Now, uh, in our series, we've seen that there is a shape to Matthew's Gospel. That when you look at the structure, uh, you find what we might call a mirror effect between the opening chapters of the Gospel... Uh, and the closing chapters. And uh, you know, if you look at these uh, chart we've put up there, you'll see it's color-coded. And if you look at the two red sections first, at the beginning, at the end, you'll see the first two chapters in the gospel deal with Jesus' birth. That's mirrored by the final chapters, which deal with Jesus' death and resurrection. And then if you take one step forward from the beginning of the gospel and one step back uh, from the end, you'll see it in orange there. Chapters 3 and 4 deal with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Chapters 21 to 25 deal with Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? 
Then you step forward and back again. We're uh, in the green now, chapters 5 through 7. We have the Sermon on the Mount. That corresponds to chapters uh, 18 and 20, where we saw Jesus, the master teacher. There are actually five blocks of teaching uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, but these two mirror each other really well. And then um, we do it again, step forward and back, and we're in the blue now, and uh, you know, chapters uh, 8 through 12 deal with miracles and conflicts. Chapters 14 to 17, miracles and controversy. And then right in the middle, what do you have? You have the parables of the kingdom. Because what's the Gospel of Matthew all about? The kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of, Kev- of heaven is not, uh, not of Kevin. Sorry, Kevin, it's not yours. The kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? And, and, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And so that's the structure of the Gospel of Matthew. We call this a chiasm. And a chiasm is simply a way of ordering one's material so that the structure flows forward to a central point and then it reverses itself after the central point so that all of those various points mirror each other. And you find chiasms like this all over Scripture. They're all over the place. And uh, so as we look at the Great Commission today, not only are we going to look at the Great Commission and see what does that mean for us, But we're also going to see how the major themes that Matthew brings up at the end of the gospel, okay, at the end of the Great Commission, how those themes are mirrored throughout the entire gospel, how they appear in the beginning of the gospel and again in the middle and then again at the end. In fact, if you look at the outline in your worship guide, I encourage you to take that out, you'll see all of these little coded letters in there. You go, what's that all about? You see this B and M and E. Well, B stands for beginning and and then M, middle, E, end, and And now this is really just for your personal study afterwards. If you wanted to look up these different references at the beginning, the middle, the end for each of these four themes uh, in the uh, gospel, uh, in the Great Commission here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So what is the Great Commission? The Great Commission is Jesus's marching orders to the church to go and make disciples of all nations. We have a mission from God and a duty to fulfill it. We have a story to tell to the nations, and what a story it is as we are commissioned to go into all the world to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to look at this truly great commission together. First, we need to look at the setting. For the Great Commission. The setting, which is a mountain in Galilee. We'll talk about that. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. You'll notice Judas is no longer with them. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And you go, well, how can that be? How how, how can some doubt when he's standing right there? Well, the word translated doubted here is a word that means to hesitate. It's not the normal word for doubt. It means to hesitate. It's something he's "Ah, not so sure, right? It's the same word that Matthew used when he was describing Peter. Remember, Peter's walking on the waves, and he's doing real good. And then all of a sudden, what happened? He hesitated. He hesitated. Same word uh, that we find here. And... um, you know, so perhaps some of the 11 were still hesitant. You know, you know should we worship Jesus? You know, we're, we only worship God. And, you know, he's a man. He's in human form. Do, do we bow down? You know, maybe there's some hesitancy there. It's also possible that they're not alone. Uh, Jesus told uh, the women at the tomb, he said, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. 
Now, that might have certainly included the disciples, but it might have included others. Uh, some people think, perhaps, remember in 1 Corinthians, it talks about 500 people saw Jesus all at the same time. Could be here. So it could be the 11. They, you know, they've seen Jesus several times now. They're all set, but maybe some of those other 500 are doubting. So you've got some worshiping, some doubting. We don't know. Uh, but either way, the setting for the Great Commission takes place where? On this mountain in Galilee. And that's important for several reasons. First of all, it tells us that this is not the ascension, okay? This is not where the ascension takes place, okay? The ascension will take place later at the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem, far away from here. You'll notice Matthew doesn't tell us about the ascension, okay? We learn about the ascension from the Gospel of Luke and from the book of Acts. Uh, Matthew chooses to end his Gospel with the Great Commission, emphasizing Jesus' marching orders to the church. That's why we have four Gospels, right? Each Gospel writer can emphasize different things that are so important for us to know. Another reason this setting is important is because Galilee was such an appropriate setting for the Great Commission. You might remember Galilee was also known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Right? And so it's very appropriate Jesus chose Galilee for the the commission. Why? Because they're going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to all the nations now. Not just Israel, all the nations. And finally, the mountain here is important because mountains are often places of divine communication in the Bible. And you can see that throughout the Old and New Testament. And, And this is where we begin to see some of the mirror effect in the Gospel of Matthew. Because you know what? We have a, a, a mountain, mountains at the beginning, middle, and end of Matthew, right? The beginning, what do we have? Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. And then what do you have right in the middle? The Mount of Transfiguration, also in Galilee. And now the Great Commission takes place on a mountain in Galilee as well. So that's the setting, the setting of the Great Commission. Next we come to the basis of the commission, which is Jesus' universal authority, Christ's authority. Look at verse 18 with me now. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is one of the strongest statements of Jesus' divinity you will find in the Bible. Only God has all authority in heaven and earth. And we know that God does not share his glory with anyone else. And so if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, what does that tell you? Jesus is God. He is God. Authority in heaven means that Jesus has authority over all spiritual beings in the heavenly places, including all angels and all demons. Authority on earth means that Jesus has authority over all the nations of the earth as well as over each individual person and indeed over all of creation. Now in one sense, Jesus already had full authority as the Son of God, but now this authority is given new meaning in the light of his incarnation, his sinless life, and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus, as the perfect God-man, has been given this authority from the Father. 
Now notice that. He was given this authority. You might remember when Jesus, uh, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, who also tried to give him authority over the earth? That was Satan, right? Satan came to him and said, all of this, he showed him all the nations of the earth. He said, all this I will give to you if you just bow down and worship me. And uh, Jesus obviously refused that offer. And now as a result of his obedience to the Father, he's given more than that. He's given all authority in heaven and earth. This is also the fulfillment of the Son of Man passage in the book of Daniel. This is a passage we've looked at a number of times in our study on the Gospel of Matthew, where the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days, is led into his presence, and then we read Daniel 7, 14. Daniel says he was given authority. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over who? All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this, this theme of the kingdom... And Jesus' authority as the king of the kingdom. This has been another major theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In some ways, it is the major theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So let's take a look at the mirror effect, okay? Okay? At the beginning of Matthew, starting with the very first verse, okay? The very first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is introduced as who? The son of David. That is a title of kingly authority, indicating the Messiah who would come and rule over David's kingdom forever. Right there at the beginning of the gospel. You see it again, chapter 2. Chapter 2, where the Magi come looking for, for Jesus. And they say, we're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. Kingly authority. We see it in Matthew 4 where Jesus comes and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he goes throughout Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's all at the beginning of the gospel. And then it continues in the middle of the gospel. The Lord's Prayer, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches us to pray what? Your will be done, your kingdom come. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. All authority in heaven and earth. It's reflected as in a mirror at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. His authority shows up at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where the people are amazed at his teaching. They said he spoke, he speaks as one, speaks and teaches as one who has authority. And then it continues, for chapters 8 and 9, Jesus performs a series of miracles showing what? His power, his authority over sickness, suffering, Satan, nature, and sin. That pretty much covers it all, folks. All authority. And then we see it in the parables of the kingdom. We're right at the very center of the gospels. We saw in that diagram, the parables of the kingdom. That's the center of the gospel. And again, in Matthew 16, where Jesus actually gives Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Upon Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. So we see at the beginning of the gospel, in the middle, and then at the end, it's right here again. We saw it at Jesus' trial at the end. His trial before the Sanhedrin where Jesus tells the high priest, yes, that he is the Christ, the son of God. And then Jesus takes that Daniel 7 passage and he applies it to himself. And he says, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds 
of heaven. And then, of course, right here in our text today, where the risen Lord proclaims, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Amazing. We see it throughout the gospel. We've looked at the setting for the Great Commission. We've looked at the basis for the Great Commission, Jesus' authority. Now we need to look at the actual content of the Great Commission. What is the commission? What did Jesus tell us to do? Here we go, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The primary command here is simply to make disciples. To make disciples of all nations. Okay, and that, that's a pretty bold and, and far-reaching command, isn't it? And the reason that we are to make disciples of all nations is because, as Jesus had just told us, Jesus has authority over all the earth. You see how that comes together? There's only one Savior of the world, and so all people from all nations need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. By the way, this part of the commission brings us back not just to the beginning of Matthew, but to the beginning of the Bible. It brings us all the way back to the book of Genesis and to the call of Abraham. God promised Abraham this in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and here it is now, and all peoples, all peoples, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. And so what God promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 is now being fulfilled through Jesus, through his commission to us as we go into all the world with the gospel of Christ. To make disciples simply means this. It means to bring people under the authority of Jesus Christ. To make disciples means to bring them under the authority of Jesus. A disciple is basically a follower of Jesus. Jesus is their teacher. They are his student. Jesus is their master. They are his servant. Jesus is Lord and Savior of their lives. That's the primary command here is to make disciples of all nations. But you know that first word in the sentence is pretty important too, right? The word go. Go and make disciples because guess what? You cannot stay and make disciples of all the nations. That's not going to work, is it? You can't stay and make disciples of everyone. You've got to go. You have to go. Now, not everyone is called to be an overseas missionary. But we are all called. This commission is for all of us. We are all called to be part of the worldwide spread of the gospel. It is a team effort. Some are called physically to go. Others provide financial support. We all need to provide prayer support. But the basic principle is this. If you want to bring people to Christ, first you must go to them. You must go. And we all have the responsibility to go to people with the gospel. Whether you go across the ocean or go across the street, 
or maybe even just go across the room. We can all do that, can't we? Jesus has given us our marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations, all people, everywhere. And then there are two primary ways that we make people disciples of Jesus. Jesus calls them baptizing and teaching here. Let's look at both of those. Baptism first. Baptism here would include sharing the gospel and leading someone to saving faith in Jesus. Then once a person uh, believes in Jesus, they are then baptized as a public testimony to their new faith and identity in Christ. Notice Jesus says that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's something odd about that sentence. When you look at it, you go, well, he just mentioned three people at the end, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he just says name. You know, shouldn't that be names and the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? No, Jesus says name. It's in the singular followed by three other names. Why? Because God is one God who exists eternally in three persons. And so we baptize people in the name, into the name of the one triune God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it begins with faith and baptism. That's at the front end of making disciples. Okay, That's where you begin. It's how you get started on your lifelong journey with Christ. But you don't stop there. You haven't, you, you, you don't stop, making disciples includes also, now what? Teaching. Teaching. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then doing what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so this is, this is not just teaching to impart information, but rather this is teaching for Transformation. We don't simply teach people, this is what Jesus told you to do. Rather, we teach people to obey what Jesus told you to do. Now, we've covered a lot of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Five blocks of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. So, obviously, all of that teaching is included. But you know what? The rest of the Bible is included here as well, right? This is the Bible. What do we call the Bible? It is the Word of God. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. So this is God's word. Jesus is God. This is Jesus' word. Everything you find in here is Jesus' word. And now we are to, all the scriptures are teachings from Jesus as well. Notice Jesus said, you've got to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, You don't get to pick and choose from Jesus' commands. So many try to make Jesus a banner for their causes. But if you are going to quote Jesus for one thing, you better quote him for all. And so discipleship is not just bringing people to Christ, that's part of it, but it's bringing people to maturity in Christ. And that takes place through the teaching ministry of the church. We need to teach, once again, the whole counsel of God so that we may become obedient believers in all areas of our lives. 
By the way, obeying the commands of Jesus includes uh, 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 the command of Jesus we're looking at today, right? The Great Commission. We need to obey that one to go and make disciples of others. A mature follower of Jesus is one who tells others about Jesus. Disciples make other disciples. That's how it works. Or as Dawson Trotman, uh, the founder of the Navigator's Ministry, he liked to put it this way. He said, we are born to reproduce. And that goes in the spiritual realm as well. Once again, there's an amazing balance in the Gospel of Matthew when we look at these merit effects throughout the Gospel. In fact, once again, the very first verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, first verse of the Gospel, we already get a preview of the Great Commission at the end. Right? We already saw that Jesus was introduced as the son of David in the first verse, indicating his universal authority. But you know he has another title there too. He's also introduced as the son of Abraham. And what we've seen, the primary blessing to Abraham is what? That he would be a blessing to all the nations. And so we have a preview right at the beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, also at the beginning of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 2, very interesting... Matthew chapter 2, we find the nations coming to Jesus. Right? Matthew chapter 2, what happens? The Magi come from distant places on the earth. They come to Jesus. So Matthew's gospel begins with the nations coming to Jesus. That's the beginning. In the middle of the gospel, what happens? Jesus sends his disciples out on a mini mission, not a great commission, a mini mission, uh, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now follow this. At the beginning of the gospel, the nations come to Jesus. Middle of the gospel, they go out just to the nation of Israel. End of the gospel, now we go out everywhere. All the nations, everyone. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what we see mirrored in the gospel. So that is the content of the Great Commission. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. We do that by baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us in the Scriptures. We've looked at the setting of the Great Commission, the basis, the content. We've got one more. Finally, now we come to the enabling of the Great Commission. Great Commission's pretty big commission, isn't it? That's why we call it great. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. How can we possibly fulfill such a great command? And there's only one way, and that is through the enabling power and presence of Jesus himself. And so Jesus ends the Great Commission with this wonderful promise, this wonderful word of assurance. Verse 20, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Two things here. First, Jesus says, I'm with you always, literally all the days. I'm with you all the days. This speaks of Jesus' constant presence in your life. He is with you every single day. That means the good days, the bad days, the I just as soon forget about them days. We all have those ones too, right? He is there with you. His presence is constant. Jesus said, I am with you always. And then he said, how long? To the very end of the age. This speaks of his continuing presence. So not only is Jesus with you at all times, he promises to do that, to be with you to the very end of the age. And so Jesus closes out the Great Commission with a promise. 
The promise of his constant and continuing presence. This is the enabling of the Great Commission. We would never dare to take on such a mission by ourselves. The good news is you don't have to. As your commanding officer, Jesus does not just send you out. He promises to go with you. Amen. Now this theme of Jesus' presence, I will be with you. Once again, we find it merit in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the gospel. We find it in the beginning, right at the birth of Jesus. Because what does the angel say? He will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. It's right there. And then it's right there in the middle when Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he says, hey, where two or three of you come together in my name, there am I with you. And now we find it at the very end of the gospel where Jesus promises to be with you always to the very end of the age. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has promised to be with us when we pray and he has promised to be with us when we go forth in mission. What is the great commission? Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. This world is lost and dying in sin. Jesus is their only hope for salvation. And so we need to share the gospel with them. Both the first and last commands of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, have to do with sharing the gospel. First command in the gospel of Matthew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Last command of Jesus in the gospel, go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus is your commanding officer. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He has commanded you to go and make disciples of all nations. Even better, he has promised to go with you. What more could you want? So folks, you've got your marching orders. So let's go. Let's go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Lord, what an amazing testimony to who you are the things that you've done, the things that you've taught, and the things that we need to do in response. We thank you for this great commission at the end of Matthew, which picks up and encapsulates so many of the the themes that we've seen throughout this amazing book, but then also lays this very personal and binding command on our lives to go and make disciples of others. Whether we go across the ocean or across the street, or across the room to share the good news that has saved us and can save others. Help us, we pray, to fulfill your commission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.